Oh my goodness, good morning. It is so awesome to be here with you guys today, to be in a room with so many distinguished alumni and uh, people of the kingdom. I'm uh, not quite sure how I ended up being the one up here speaking today, but it's an honor. It's an absolute honor for me. Uh, maybe a little deja vu for some of you. I was here Monday, if you didn't sleep through chapel. Um, I wasn't expecting to speak today until Bill Tibbetts called me over the weekend, and he said, uh, can you speak Thursday? And I said, oh, you want me to change from Monday to Thursday? And he said, no, I want you to do both. And I said, Bill, I'm the faith and work guy. I got one message, right? Like, I'm going to give it on Monday. I got nothing else to say. So now I had to come up with a whole new, a whole new gig for today. Now, I, I'm really sorry that uh, you don't get a chance to hear uh, Bill today, he's uh, one of my dearest friends, and he's so incredible what he's doing here with Cobat and how he's leading the Cobat movement here. But I'm honored to step in for him and kind of round out my message from Monday uh, with a little different twist on this whole faith and work and faith in the marketplace conversation. So I- I'm really grateful, Dr. Hagen, for a school that would dedicate chapel time like this to uh, a spiritual conversation about the marketplace. You know, God owns it all. Every sphere of this life belongs to God's kingdom because of the finished work of Jesus. So it's not that some of you are in ministry and some of you are in the marketplace. We're all in this together. We're all in this together, right? So I just want to give a a quick recap of what I talked about Monday because I think it's foundational to what we're going to talk about today. Kind of flows together. On Monday, we walked through kind of a very basic theology of work and a basic theology of the marketplace, right? We learned that we need to tear down the sacred-secular divide. That partitioning our Christian lives into sacred and secular compartments like these old-school, middle-school lunch trays, it's great for eating food, right? It's not so good for the way we think about our Christian life. It is actually sinful, pagan, Gnostic instinct that does this to us. So we got to tear down the sacred-secular divide. The gospel redeems and resurrects all things, Colossians 1, 19 and 20, including the marketplace, including the work of our hands. We also said that work was God's idea, that work existed from the beginning. We see in Genesis 1 and 2, work existed before the fall, not because of the fall. Uh, Work is not punishment for our sin, (laughs) although maybe some of you would say you haven't had my job, right? But Work is not punishment for our sin. As image bearers and vice regents of God Almighty, we were made to work and keep God's creation. We also said that everyday marketplace work is a partnership with God in his ongoing work in the world. That we were commanded to subdue and have dominion over creation in Genesis 1.28. That we were made to be co-creators with our creator. And this joint venture of sorts is, uh, is part of our everyday marketplace work. And then we said that everyday marketplace work is actually an opportunity for us as believers to fulfill the great commandment. We talked about tetelestai, right? It is finished. And because of Jesus' finished work, and we don't have to work to make ourselves right with God. We don't have to work to forge an identity for ourselves. We don't have to work to create meaning for ourselves. We uh, all of that work, all of that work was finished by Jesus. And so now we are free. So when we get up and go to work every day, whether our jobs are big or small, we can embrace them as an opportunity to fulfill the great commandment that we see in Matthew 26 to worship God 
and love our neighbor every day through marketplace work. But today I want to pivot. I want to pivot and talk about a whole different angle to the marketplace and its role in the kingdom. And this isn't, it's not perfunctory. I'm actually glad that Bill gave me the chance to kind of tag this on to my theology of work message from Monday because I, I think it's vital. So today I actually want to talk about the marketplace and global missions. I want to talk about the marketplace and the Great Commission. So our organization, the Stone Table, is, is actually, we call ourselves a, a global missions organization that is rooted in the marketplace. So I, I want to do my best today to tie all this together in a way I believe God designed. I want to talk to you about the intersection of our everyday work about the marketplace and the business world and the Great Commission. So can I pray for us real quick before we dive in? Lord, I just pray for the illumination of the Holy Spirit to be in this room. God, uh, that these would be more than just words or thoughts or ideas, but Lord, that we would leave here seeing Jesus today. In your name we pray, amen. So I, I grew up in a global missions church. Uh, to say we were pas passionate about global missions is kind of like saying, well, it gets a little cold in Minneapolis in the winter, you know? Like, you know, I like to say we slow-baked in the Great Commission. <laughs> we kind of marinated in it like mom's Sunday pot roast. You know, we had the, the flags of the nations that filled the parking lot. We had a giant globe that sat on a spare change fountain in the main lobby. The walls of the church were, were covered with pictures of the 300 plus missionaries that we supported around the world. There were itinerating missionaries sharing exotic stories in almost every church service. We had annual missions conventions with strange international foods and costumes and missionary parades. You know, none of this was strange to us. It was just what Christians were supposed to care about. You know, Jesus said, go into all the world, and we were going to do our part, right? So we were all in on global missions, and we're, and we're still all in. So, so what does that have to do with the marketplace, right? Well, it's that global missions DNA that actually inspired our company's co-founders one who I actually call uh, my, my dad, uh, to reorder their business and career goals around the Great Commission. So in, in 1992, my dad was approached by a real estate developer in our church about an, an idea he had to, to fund emissions through real estate, through an affordable housing business. And my dad was an AG pastor's kid uh, who had pursued a career in the marketplace, but he was, he was deeply moved by the possibilities of lending his business skills to a Great Commission cause. So he left his other entrepreneurial pursuits and spearheaded a nonprofit real estate company that we call CRF Affordable Housing. CRF was founded for the express purpose of harnessing the marketplace to fund strategic global missions projects around the world. And since 1992, 50% of every dollar that we make through our core business has gone right out the door to strategic global missions projects around the world. And we do that through our missions organization, which you know as the Stone Table. Thanks. I, I'd like to take credit for that. Um, my job is just not to break it, right? So, so our, our founders actually built the Great Commission into their business model. So the marketplace and global missions have always kind of gone together for me. And that's why these, these two Barna surveys from 2018 and 2019 on global missions and evangelism really shocked and, and troubled me. I don't know if you saw these, but according to Barna's research, over half of all churchgoers, 
51% are completely unfamiliar with the Great Commission. They can't tell you what it references or even pick it out of a lineup of scriptures. But perhaps even more disconcerting, almost half of practicing Christian millennials believe that evangelism is wrong. That sharing your faith with another person with the hopes that they will place their faith in Christ is a morally questionable activity. You know, and perhaps these responses reflect a pushback against you know, a belief that missions is just some form of Western colonialism. You know, perhaps they reflect a, a discomfort with that caricature of a self-righteous bullhorn evangelist. You know, perhaps it's because of a sincere desire for holistic missions efforts that focus on injustice instead of just traditional evangelism. I, I don't know, perhaps. Uh, but I actually fear, I fear something worse. See, I, I fear God's people may actually be losing God's heart for the nations. I fear we've, as some have said, turned the Great Commission into more of a a great suggestion. (laughs) But see, if we really love people, won't we move heaven and earth to tell them how their sins can be forgiven? How they can find union with their heavenly Father and how they can function in the fullness of the resurrection power of Jesus Christ? Yes. And see, we passionately believe that awakening and mobilizing entrepreneurship, business, and the marketplace is a vital part of this Great Commission calling. So so what is the Great Commission? Do you know? I'm guessing the global missions ethos of North Central University probably outpaces the Barnish statistics that we just read. But see, the Great Commission is the last instructions of the resurrected Jesus to his disciples as he ascended to heaven. And these instructions aren't just for certain Christians, for professional pastors and missionaries. Jesus' words were aimed at all of us who call him Lord, including those of us with marketplace jobs. It's a commission for all believers. So let's look at Matthew 28, 19. Let me get real global missions obsessed on you here for a moment, all right? And Jesus said, therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. He said, go. He said, go, move out, go forth, get moving, and make disciples, train followers, those who trust Christ for their salvation and adhere to Jesus with their whole lives. And then he said, all nations, all nations. The Greek word here is ethnos or ethne, or a people joined by similar customs or culture. We could probably better translate this and break this down, not as geopolitical nation states, but as people groups, people groups. And Jesus said to go to all of them. And yet the Joshua Project estimates that there are as many as 7,400 unreached people groups today. A UPG is defined as less than 2% followers of Christ. It means they're, they're incapable of sustaining and creating and, and perpetuating their own movement towards Christ. They need cross-cultural help. And, and many of these people groups have zero known believers at all. 
These 7,400 people groups total 3.2 billion people, billion with a B, and represent 42% of the global population. And for many of these people groups, we're not just talking about a general disinterest in Christianity or just a, a few churches in and around the area. We're talking no access to the gospel. If you're born into this 42%, there's a good chance that you could be born, live, and die without ever as much as meeting a Christian, let alone hearing the life-giving message of the gospel. And this, by my definition, is the greatest injustice in the world today. But Jesus told every believer to move out and make followers of every ethnos, every people group. And so I would say to you today, if you belong to Jesus, the Great Commission belongs to you. This isn't just the biblical studies majors. This isn't just the global studies majors. It's not some subset of heroic super Christians. It's to you. It's to me. It's to every follower of Christ, including marketplace believers, including you, Kovat. He said, but Eric, this is Marketplace Chapel week. So I want to say to you, as the church reawakens, I believe reawakens to this sacredness of the marketplace and marketplace work within God's kingdom, we marketplace Christians cannot forget that that sacred kingdom work includes a universal call to go and make disciples of all nations. We can't carry the warm fuzzies of this renewed gospel purpose for our work and ignore the fact that that renewed purpose includes the Great Commission. Inherent to the gospel is the proclamation of the gospel. So that's why, a, a, as a missions organization rooted in the marketplace, we're so passionate about business as mission, or BAM. Isn't that fun to say? BAM! If you, <laughs> thank you, yeah. You know, if you ask 20 different people to define business as mission, you'd probably get 20 different answers, but... At the stone table, we define it the way Assemblies of God World Missions and the BAM office of Assemblies of God World Missions defines it, and that is this way. Business as mission is the intentional integration of business and ministry to create a sustainable missional presence of the kingdom of God in a particular community. And this is so cool, right? Across the globe right now, all kinds of marketplace work is being embraced as a great commission opportunity to take the gospel to the ends of of the earth. We've got missionary entrepreneurs that are starting sustainable farms and travel and tourism companies and CrossFit gyms and coffee shops and restaurants. We got gig economy workers like graphic designers and book editors that are moving their base location to strategic missions outposts. We've got what we call take a job missionaries that are partnering with local church planting teams and embedding in these giant global corporations that can move them into unreached parts of the world. We got business owners that are franchising their models to missionary teams so that they can take the gospel into places that traditional missionaries cannot go. And we have missionary investors that are unwriting, un underwriting the risky startup costs of these strategic BAM projects with grant and investment dollars that, that carry this kind of multiple bottom line understanding that we're really trying not only to make a profit but fulfill the great commission. So I, I'm going to close with one such story. On an island off the coast of Africa, there's a business English school that functions as a marketplace blessing to the local community. They provide for-profit English language classes and they train locals looking to get higher paying jobs in the community's robust tourism 
industry. But it's also a hub for a team of missionaries planting the church among the 99.99% Islamic residents. So until recently, the team there knew of no indigenous believers. By definition, the people group here is completely unreached with the gospel. And traditional missions methodologies, they won't work on this island. The country doesn't offer missionary visas. There's no Bible school in need of missionary teachers. What this island nation does have, though, is tourists, lots of them, from Africa, the Middle East, from Europe, even from the United States. And the common language shared by almost all of those tourists is English. So by learning business English, a local person can find new life-changing employment and economic opportunities. And learning English from a native English speaker is really, it's highly coveted. So our missionary friends recognized this marketplace opportunity and they moved into the community to both demonstrate the redemptive work of the gospel and to proclaim the name of Jesus through a business. They launched a for-profit English school and are planting the church through the business. Now, like, like any good business, the school meets a tangible need in the community. But where many missions efforts might embrace a compassion ministry, this business English school tackles an economic need. So by providing highly needed skills to the people of the island, they, they foster trust and relationships that give them a platform for physical presence, renewed relationships, and ultimately gospel proclamation. See, this is the beauty of, of business as mission. By, re, by meeting a real market need, hiring locals to work in the business, the missionaries become a true value add to the local community. See, we believe the marketplace is a perfect avenue for this kind of kingdom demonstration and proclamation. And get this, after years of sowing, the dry and fallow ground is actually beginning to bear gospel fruit. During a, a recent visit, I was lucky enough to see this fruit firsthand. Uh, a few months earlier, a guy that I'll call Charlie, I'll call him Charlie, he'd been hired by the school as a translator. And through his consistent interaction with the teachers, Charlie gave his life to Jesus. And while Muslims are very open and interested in talking about Jesus, converting to Christianity is a complete abomination. And because of Charlie's decision to leave Islam, his wife's family actually revoked their marriage and they took her away. They had given her to Charlie as a Muslim man, but as a Christian, they were no longer obligated to honor the union, even though she wanted to remain his wife and was pregnant with their first child. Charlie's brothers threatened to kill him. They, they locked him out of his home and they took all of his possessions because of his new faith in Jesus, Charlie was literally left alone with only the clothes on his back. And yet, even amidst this, this horrific persecution, he refused to renounce his faith and his allegiance to his newfound Savior. I had the, the honor of sitting in a room with Charlie for a few hours, listening to him tell his story about his unwavering faith in Christ. And we cried with him when he talked about losing his wife and their child and then I had the honor of walking with this small group of BAM missionary English teachers down a small dirt path to a little inlet of the Indian Ocean to watch Charlie be baptized as the first known believer of this unreached people group. This is literally the equivalent of seeing a stadium full of people 
in other parts of the world. And I want to tell you, as of today, there are seven new believers that have come to faith through Charlie's Witness. And I, I actually got to see another baptism last month when we were there on the island. A small church has been planted amongst an unreached people group. And these new persecuted believers are developing a strategy to reach the island, to reach their own people for Christ. And this all happened through a business, through marketplace activity. All of this happened because a group of missionary entrepreneurs believed what Jesus said to go and make disciples of all people groups, and they did it through a business. This picture actually hangs on the wall in my office behind my desk because I want to see it every day. I want to see it every day. It's a great commission moment that I never want to forget. So what does that mean for you and me? I'm crazy enough to believe that we could actually see the great commission fulfilled in our generation. If we mobilize every believer in the church, on the mission field, and in the marketplace to be great commission obsessed. <laughs> I like to say marketplace skills are great commission skills. So we need you, Cobat. We need you, biology. We need you, education. We need you, journalism. We need you, mathematics. We need you, computer science. We need some of you here in this room to start the next generation of CRF affordable housings. We need some of you to start businesses, mission projects, to go to the hard-to-reach places around the globe. We need some of you to take jobs in global companies that give you access to people that need to hear the life-giving message of Jesus. Marketplace skills are great commission skills. So I'm going to close today the exact same way I closed on Monday. And I'm going I'm to encourage and challenge you with this. As followers of Jesus... There's really only been one vocation for the last 2,000 years. And vocation really comes from, it comes from the Latin word vocare, which means calling, right? We think of vocation as, well, what do you do for a living? What's your vocation? Vocare means calling. It means calling. And that one 2,000-year-old vocation is the glory of God amongst every nation, tribe, and tongue. That vocation, it takes on many forms, accountants and engineers and pastors and financial advisors and property managers and farmers and missionaries and construction workers. You can fill in your line of work here. No matter what your job is, here is your job. Worship God, love your neighbors, make disciples of every nation. Not one aspect of the true Christian vocation has changed in 2,000 years no distractions, no sideways energy, faithful worship, faithful service. Make much of Jesus, my friends. So let's get to it, right? Thank you. God bless you guys.